Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com if you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast google Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Okay, it's time to get ready. The shofar has sounded. Time to get your mind set on things above. Take them off what's going on in the world. Let's begin the community part of the porch. If you don't want to be a part of that, go to the sound of the shofar, the second one, and then I'll take you into the Bible study. But this is where we share what's going on. Some people have praise reports and prayer requests. Others um, will send in stuff and ask not to be shared, but... This is where we act as a community, online, all over the world. And I hope you'd want to be a part of that. If you do, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, write us at the porch, all lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com. Go to the Facebook page. However you want to communicate with us, we're available to you. We always start out with praise reports and prayer requests. I have never not done that. I believe that's the way it should be done. I always praise him for my salvation. There's nothing more important than that because I don't have anything I'm about to share with you without my salvation. I don't have my wife. I don't have my sons and daughter-in-laws and uh, grandson and furry kids. I have nothing, no future, no hope, nothing. I have everything through him. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Because he has provided for me, protected me. He has given me dreams and visions. Lately, they have uh, become more frequent and more intense. He has shared his word with me, as I share with you. He has been awesome to me. There was a song from the late 80s, early 90s, uh, DeGarmo and Key, you know, he died for me. I will live for him. There was a patch, a poster. We we can merchandise the heck out of it, but the fact is, he did die for me. So I will live for him. I praise him for his healing virtues, for the opportunity for divine health, for divine favor, for living out Luke 4.18 and being a part of his church at a time when we are so vitally necessary. 
I praise Him for the revelation and presence of the Holy Spirit, that we are new creations and living in prophetic times. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, maybe in the coming weeks as well. But this means we must pray. I always pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6, may they prosper who love you. I do. I love my Jewish brothers and sisters. Beside the fact that I am not grafted into the vine, I am a part of the vine, but I am his. I belong to him. People say, what are you? I'm a believer. What kind of a believer? Daydream? No, I'm I'm a believer. I believe in Yeshua. I believe he's son of God. He's my, my Lord and Savior. He's the Messiah. I know, but what church do you go to? I am the church. They just get all sorts of frustrated and give up. We are the church. So I pray for us. I pray for Israel. I pray for its leadership. I pray for America. I pray for the church. Praying for the people that are being victimized all over the world. Regular, everyday people. The fatherless, the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, the innocents, and those that are victims of injustice. I'm going to say this again. If you're looking for justice in this fallen world, you're not going to find it. There will be no justice until the King of Kings and Lord of Lords returns. Praying against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal, for missing and exploited children, the victims of human sex trafficking, for our brothers and sisters around the world, being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, for the growing persecution and anti-Semitism. I pray against the spirit of the Antichrist. I don't believe it's his time, but the Lord decides, but I stand in the gap against him. I pray for each and every one of you, those that I know and even those that I don't know, for your health, for your wholeness, for your healing, for your happiness. I pray right now that you be healed, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit in accordance with his will and his word for your life. Be protected. That Psalm 91 covering in effect over you and yours. If you haven't figured out, we live in a fallen world. And the enemy's running amok, and I will tell you unequivocally, and I'm considering bringing my SRT brothers together for a special edition of Reflections in the Dark to discuss this. But the enemy is not afraid of you, not afraid of me, not afraid of, of what we can do. This is their time. They're jacked up. We should be too. Praying for the remnant to wake up, answer the call for the projects and plans and all the dreams and visions to be fulfilled for kingdom finances to flow for kingdom business. I'm going to be talking about that in the day soon, maybe just in a newsletter. I don't know. If you're not a part of the newsletter, write us and we'll put you on that list. And of course, I always pray for our lost family members. Um, I have a praise report. I guess it's for me and my wife. Our son, Chris, turned 30 four years old today. It's amazing. I was 12 when he was born. No, that's really, really not true. I was 13. Anyway, it's Chris's 34th birthday. So um, in the spirit, wish Chris a happy birthday, but we need prayers for his dog, Kyrie, who is not doing too well. So we'll find out what the vet thinks. So praise and prayer for Chris. Um, 
Jr. in Oklahoma let us know that his uncle was sent home, but he wants more prayer because they got no answers from three doctors. And I, I, I think doctors are necessary and they serve a purpose, but never forget that they're practicing medicine and they're practicing on us. The Lord has the answer, so we'll, we will keep Junior's uncle in prayer. And all the members of the porch who are going through stuff right now, I, I keep you in prayer. I got you covered. I'm praying that others would too. So, Lord, we come to you now. First of all, we want to go to the Father. And that's why you died, so that we could that we could boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. And maybe that's all we can say. Maybe we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit does. He can help us, or he can just give us groanings that we don't even know what we're saying. But, Father, we desperately need you. We need to be hidden under your wings. We need the rivers to flow from the throne room to us. We need grace. We need mercy. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for shedding your blood on the cross, for dying for our sins, for rising again, and sending the Holy Spirit back when you sat down next to the Father, and you allow us to sit with you in the heavenly places. To any son and daughter that doesn't understand that or know what that feels like, I pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit in your name, Lord, that you would bring them into the throne room and they would feel your presence, that they would be set free, that they would know you in a way that they've never known you before. Holy Spirit, have your have your way. Pray protection on the technology, our minds and our hearts to be opened, that the word would go forth, that we would be edified and encouraged. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So as I said in the beginning, this, this may be one of those uh, times that we go on for a couple of weeks until the Lord is done. And I really didn't know what he wanted to talk about tonight, but I kept hearing the phrase, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the return of the Son of Man. And so I I began to think about that. And the Spirit took over, and this is one of those times where it it just flowed out. But, you know, last week we've been building on a scripture for the last couple of weeks. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the, a reason for the hope that is in within you with meekness and fear. It's time for you to know what and why you believe. And not just for you, but for others around you. There's a lot of people lost right now, hurting, confused. They've had their faith shaken. They've had their theology confronted. They've been fed pablum and and, uh, bad food by false teachers. 
And now when they need strength, when they need the ability to stand up, they have none. They have no fight. They have nothing in them. So people need to know why you believe what you believe. Well, part of the reason I believe is that he has warned us ahead of time. I have testimony. I've shared it with you. But what if you don't have that testimony? What You're going on somebody else's. But the proof is there that he is who he says he is. But go with me to Matthew 24. Now I'm going to start with verse 32. I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'll be doing both the New King James and the Amplified. Now learn this parable from the fig tree, and we know that the fig tree is Israel. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. What things? The things that he mentioned previously in Matthew 24, 1 through 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not, will by no means pass away. And many people believe, and I tend to agree with them, that the generation that was born from the time that Israel became a nation, whether they were alive then or born during that time, which were primarily baby boomers to now, I believe that we will see the second coming of the Lord. I believe that we'll see the rapture of the church. Yes, I I do believe in that. If you don't, that's fine. I believe the indicators are there, the scriptures are there, the examples are there. But his words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And and I've heard people say, not even the Lord knows when he's coming back. And that is such nonsense. That's just spiritual nonsense. First of all, when he said this, in his human form, he said, the Father and I are one. I only say what the Father says. I only know what the Father knows. So he knew then, but even now, he's in his glorified form, sitting next to the Father. They're one. Of course he knows when he's coming back. Now, the angels don't. We don't. But here's the scripture that we're going to key off of. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Will the coming of the Son of Man be? We know Son of Man is a messianic term that we find in Daniel and in many other places. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Which means they'll be caught completely off guard just as they were when Noah and his family entered the ark and the Lord sealed the door shut. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If you really believe, I believe that, 
But if you really believed verse 44, then you'd be living every moment of every hour of every day with the expectation of the imminent return of the Lord. For the coming of the Son of Man, the Messiah, will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the very day when Noah entered the ark. And remember, he was in there for seven days before the waters came. So even for seven days, they're probably looking at him going, what a fool. He spent all this time to build that giant monstrosity, and now he's sitting in it. And then the waters came. And they did not know or understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be, unexpected judgment. Oh, we don't want to talk about judgment. Oh, a loving loving God wouldn't do that. Well, no, he doesn't do that. We do it to ourselves. We've made decisions. So be alert. Give strict attention, be cautious, and active in faith, for you do not know which day, whether near or far, your Lord, Adonai, is coming. So, I believe that we should understand Noah and the times he lived in to understand where we are now. Because if, in case you didn't notice, we're living in a very sinful, evil ungodly, debauched time. So go with me. Let's find out a little bit about Noah. So we're going to go to Genesis 5. And as always, I'm going to build my case for you. And in the process, I'm going to present you scripture and commentary and other people's thoughts. And I'm going to tie it all together. Then you have to decide what you believe. Because That's the great thing about the Word of God. We all have it. It's in there. It's in that Bible. Right now, from the uh, the gifts that I've been given of some of Shelley's Bibles, I'm surrounded by them. Right now in this room, I probably have one, two, four, five, or six. So go to Genesis 5. I'm going to start with verse 18. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. So we know that Jared lived 962 years and then he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Bodily, alive, human form, God took him from here with him. Example of rapture, just like Elijah. Methuselah lived 100 years. And 87 years, and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. 
So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. So the three key names come before Noah. Jared, Enoch, and Methuselah. And those are names that I want you to remember as we go along here. Now, if you've noticed, first of all, these people lived a very long time. And many believe the the, the reasons for that were uh, divine favor, the earth was different, uh, so many different reasons. But if, if the word says it, I believe it. This is an allegory. That's how long they lived. We know, and we'll talk about it more next time, that the watchers of Genesis 6 came down on Mount Hermon in the time of Jared. That's why I started with Jared. So the watchers who helped create the problem, who should have been protecting mankind, were on the earth hundreds as much as a thousand years before the incursion and the flood. I tell you that so that you understand that this was not an overnight thing. What caused God to say he'd had enough went on for a period of time, possibly a thousand years. So Jared had a son named Enoch, and at age 65, Enoch had a son named Methuselah. So he and his wife have a, a baby boy named Methuselah. They name him Methuselah. And something happens at that point in Enoch's life that changes, and he begins to walk with the Lord. I never caught this before. The wording's right there. It never jumped out at me like that. When his son is born, something happens inside of Enoch. Maybe the response, according to Warren Wiersbe in a book, a commentary, uh, the B commentary, B basic, where he talks about Genesis, he says, did the responsibility of raising a son in such a godless world so challenge Enoch that he knew he needed the Lord's help? Or, when the baby was born, did God give Enoch insight into the future so that he knew the flood was coming? We don't know, but we do know the arrival of this baby changed Enoch's life. And I, and I thought about that today. And I don't think it was the arrival of, of the boy. Here's what I think. I think when Methuselah, this is just my opinion, my theory, and hopefully by next week I'll be able to, to confirm it, is that Enoch has Methuselah, and I believe the Lord gave him a vision, opened his eyes to what was coming. Now remember, the watchers are on the earth. I believe that by this time, the watchers have already fallen tainted humanity. The reason I believe that is we know that Jared, I don't have the scripture in front of me, Jared took two wives, first time polygamy was ever mentioned, and it says he took two wives, which means it was forcible, the same phrase used by, uh, in Genesis 6, about the watchers taking wives for themselves. So I believe that they had already corrupted mankind. I believe that when Methuselah was born, Enoch saw what was coming, and it changed everything for him. And I'm not saying we're even close to being Enoch. 
But why doesn't it change us? Larry and I are talking about this today. So many believers that I talk to right now, so many members of the Lord's Church are clueless as to what is going on right now in the world and how it influenced them and what it indicates. They're just going along, la-di-da, marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking, acting like everything's normal. It's not normal, folks. So Methuselah dies at the age of 969 years old, and the year he died, the Great Flood occurred. So Enoch may not have known what was coming, but his son definitely, his son's birth woke him up so much so that he walked with God so closely that he didn't see death. Second Peter 3.11 says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, and we know the earth, the firmament, everything will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? Why are we so oblivious? Why do we get caught up in so many things that have no eternal value? Well, if they were awake and they didn't have the warnings we have, they didn't have the word we have, they, they didn't have the, the Lord, we should be awake as well. First John chapter 2, starting verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Then we go to verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. As I said, Enoch did not die. He walked with God and was not. One minute he was here, the next minute he was in paradise. We know the same thing happened to Elijah. Hebrews 11.5 By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. As I've already said, I believe Enoch, I believe Elijah, I believe the example of Lot. We have examples of rapture being snatched out of harm's way. But it doesn't matter. That's not not a game changer if you don't believe it. I'm just telling you that the example's there in the Bible. But we should have hope in a hopeless time. And it just seems like every, every message I've given over the last couple of weeks, and this has not been the plan, has been about hope. When I started working on the whole Days of Noah thing, all of a sudden in the middle of it, I started seeing these words, hope. They had hope at a time when the earth was so evil, so sinful, so disgusting, that God's only choice 
was to destroy everything except seven people and the animals on the ark. They had hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting verse 13. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so God will bring him with him those who sleep in Yeshua. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we, oops, let's back up, verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, for those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Messiah will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Well, for meeting him in the air, it means his feet have been set down on the Mount of Olives, which means he's not talking about the second coming. Let's go to chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. I'll even say sons and daughters of light and sons and daughters of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Let, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Adonai Yeshua, our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. We, the church, the born again, even the Messianic believers, are not appointed to wrath. Therefore, we can't be here when the wrath comes. Enoch believed God, walked with God, and went to be with God. And that's our example that we should follow. Something woke him up when Methuselah was born. What will it take to wake you up? Every day, every day something triggers me a little more. I shouldn't use that word trigger. That's got negative connotations. It awakens me a little more. I've always been sold out. But every day a little more of this world gets cut away. A little more of this life becomes distasteful. And just imagine, I already pointed out how difficult it was to walk with God during those years before the flood, when sin and violence were prevalent and only a remnant believed in God. So much so, Genesis 6, 5 says, 
says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We're not far from that right now. But Enoch's life of faith wasn't a private thing because he boldly announced that God would come to judge the world's sins. In Jude 14 and 15, and I don't have it listed here. i got it listed someplace else, so we'll leave it where it is. But the prophecies are there. The word of the Lord is there. It's right there. If you have a Bible, pick it up. And, and, and I have digital ones. I have them on my phone. I have them on my iPad. I have them on my computer. But something about holding a Bible in your hand. You're holding the word of God. Yeah, I know it's paper and uh, a cover, but the answers are right there. The prophecies are right there. The encouragement is right there. But in his day, Noah's day, the judgment of the flood did come. But the fulfillment, the total fulfillment of the judgment that Enoch prophesied about happens when Yeshua returns and leading the armies of heaven and condemning Hasatan and his fallen angels. And that's the fulfillment of it. But Enoch's life was a witness to remind us that it is possible to be faithful and committed to God in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So no matter how dark the day and no matter how bad the news, we have the promise of the Lord's return to encourage us and to motivate us to be godly, to shun the cares and the sins of this world because one day sin will be judged once and for all and his children will be rewarded for their love and their faithfulness. So, We have every reason to be encouraged as we walk with God. The other thing that struck me as I worked on this is that the Lord builds upon the testimony and lives and the works of others for him. Line upon line, precept upon precept. So when you look at the stories of Lamech and Enoch and Noah and Methuselah, he was building upon them. We look in Genesis 5, verse 28. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called him name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech was 777 years and he died. Seven, seven, seven. And that was it. Noah was 500 years old. And of course, he begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that's where some of the problem comes back. But we don't go there right now. So Noah's name means comfort. 
And he was a foreshadowing of Yeshua because he was going to bring comfort. Come to me, all you who labor are and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what I mean that the Lord builds upon. If you want the answers, open your Bible. Read. Study. Ask the Spirit to explain it to you. Devotions are nice, but let, let's get real. If all you ever had of every meal was a nibble, you, you would die from lack of strength and malnutrition. Open your word. Eat. Feast. Genesis 6, 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in all his generations. Noah walked with God. Now, different interpretations of perfect in his generations, I believe, for me, taking the actual Hebrew words, it means his bloodline was untainted. But also his character was untainted. And Noah found favor in the sight of God. And he was needed for a special time, a special job. Now, who would think, and and if if you understand, and we'll talk next week, about what I believe was really going on during that time, and we see some of it in the legends and the mythologies, but this is the time of supernatural demonic sin, depravity. The kind of evil you see in horror films. When I was growing up in New York City, we had an area called the Times Square District, 42nd Street. And if you've seen it in the movies, it was just one porno theater after another. One prostitute after another walking the streets, crime at night. People doing disgusting things, killing one. I mean, it was just not a place you wanted to be. But if you saw it, and I did, because I used to have to go down there sometimes during the day, you got a glimpse of what the underworld looks like, what evil looks like. And in the midst of all that, here's Noah. It's been this way probably since Enoch, It's gotten so bad that the Lord has said, that's it, I'm done. But I don't want you to focus on the supernatural part of this message. We may circle back to that. Because for the last decade, we have been buried, inundated with a theological analysis of the coming of the days of Noah. Authors and teachers recounting what they believed was going on in the days of Noah. No one knows for sure. I give you my opinion, and I tell you it's my opinion, and I try to back it up. The fact is we don't know. We just know it was so bad, the Lord flooded the earth. But the lesson isn't in knowing what was going on. The lesson is in how Noah responded to what was going on. Whether the Nephilim 
were the offspring of of the watchers and the daughters of Adam. It doesn't matter. What we do know, it was so bad that only eight people and those animals on the ark survived the flood. And in the midst of all that, there was still hope. Noah was a beacon of faith to the faithless. Mankind was given hope by a loving Heavenly Father through a man untouched and untainted by the sins of that day. Genesis 6, verse 1, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, which in the Hebrew is B'nai HaLahim, saw the daughters of men, interesting phrasing, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose, and I believe that was the indication of polygamy. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And I believe that that declaration of 120 years is that from this time of judgment, of the declaration of judgment, man would have 120 years to get it right. We know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness during that time. So this 120 years was the time of grace. We go to verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent and thoughts of his heart was evil, only evil, continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. I can't even imagine what he felt in his heart. But he still gave a way out. Just like he did with Yeshua. For God so loved the world. But instead of outright judging them, he gave them a way out. So the the focus of what I'm trying to get you to see is not on the nature of the sin and the evil, but on the nature of the sons and daughters chosen by the Lord to combat it, to do something about it. In those 120 years was a, a, a time for man to repent. Our Heavenly Father is long-suffering with sinners. But then there comes a time when judgment must fall. Second Peter 2.5, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Well, whose world is this right now? Who's the God of this world? So when the, when the next one comes, it won't be water, it'll be fire. It'll be because man has chosen that. But grace has been given. A time of grace has been given. Noah was preparing the ark, and as Larry and I discussed today, they say he was a preacher of righteousness. Was he standing there preaching? I believe he was speaking, witnessing, while he was building. 
I believe his building was preaching. He was doing something. But judgment was coming. Judgment that Enoch knew about. It says it in Jude 14 and 15. I told you I would bring it. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Well, I'm sorry, Jude, where did Enoch prophesy this? In what we call First Enoch. Jude is quoting Enoch directly. Where he talks about the ten thousands of his saints. And by the way, and we won't get into that here, but I go into it in the supernatural battle. They're direct quotes from First Enoch by the Lord, by Daniel, by others. And, and they preceded all of those writings. But the message... God has given from the mouth of two witnesses, Enoch and Noah, and people still would not listen. We're seeing the same signs today, that mankind will not repent or change their ways. Which takes us back to what the Lord was talking about in Matthew 24. But as the days of Noah were, ignorance, sin, refusal to repent, on and on and on and on and on, you read Romans 1, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, eat, drink, and be merry. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Noah is our example to stay the course and tell the truth and be about our Father's business. Noah is our example to not be so caught up in the darkness and the evil, but to concentrate on what he was called to do, to build an ark, to be a preacher of righteousness, to tell the truth, to give people a chance. Doesn't say anywhere he condemned them. Doesn't say anywhere he judged them. But by his actions, people knew what he believed. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Hebrews eleven seven. In Warren Worsby's Be Basic, the only, he said the only way people can be saved from God's wrath is through God's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. 
When there's hope, there's grace. But God's grace isn't a reward for a good life. It's his response to our faith. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He saw and he acted. True faith involves the entire person inside and out. The mind understands what God's warning is. The heart fears what it is and then acts in obedience to God's word. Let me say that again. You understand mentally, intellectually. You respond emotionally in your heart. We know we have two computers. So your mind and your heart then compel you to be obedient to God's word. That's what the parable of the sower is in Matthew 13. That's why that parable is so powerful. Because it talks about people hearing and receiving, and then three different types of people and what they do with the seed. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But who, he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet has no root in himself, but only endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So just to understand the word is not enough. You have to act on it. That's what biblical faith is. Faith involves action. Good seed produces a harvest. I've met people that fit all of these categories. Action comes from understanding. I mean, if you saw your house on fire and you had loved ones in there, even animals, you wouldn't just, oh, I understand they're burning to death, right? No, you're going to do something. You're going to call the fire department. You're going to get a hose. Maybe you're going to run in and go get them. Understanding produces an emotional reaction, which produces a response. Your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters, your aunts, your uncles, your friends, people that you care about are going to burn in the lake of fire if you don't have an emotional, visceral reaction to that. But you got to do something. That's what John James chapter 2 is about, about faith and works. You can have faith, but if you do nothing with it, what what good is that? We should be doing something. We should be setting the captives free. We should be telling people about the Lord. We should be trying to warn them and say, you see what's going on in the world? This is prophecy being fulfilled. 
we must believe with our heart. And if we do, it'll inspire us to act because of our faith in him. Now, you may say to me, oh, Richard, I'm, I don't have that faith. Why not? Well, everything's just gone wrong and everything I believed didn't happen. Well, the problem was what you believed didn't line up with the word and didn't line up with him. He's still as good as his word. Noah was inspired by his great-grandfather Enoch and the, the life and the supernatural existence that Enoch had. He accepted the calling and the hope in what he saw in Enoch and what he knew from God telling him to build the ark is ours, too, in what we know about the word and the testimony of others, line upon line, precept upon precept. The Lord builds upon the efforts of others. It took almost a thousand years before judgment finally came, 120 of which people were being given the final warning. I believe we are in the phase of the final warning. And to make it through the coming days, it's going to take knowing the word and the testimony of others to finish the race. It's going to take us being like Noah to finish the job. I don't know what your job is. I know what mine is. And I pray every day to be able to fulfill it. I pray every day for the freedom to go, the freedom to do what I believe I've been called to do. Because I know people's lives depend upon it. I know because I've seen and I have felt and I've got testimonies of what I've seen and, and what others built upon for me to get here. Line upon line, precept upon precept, the testimony of others, the teaching of others, to get me to the place where I am on June 1st, 2022, knowing that I know, believing who he is and what's about to happen in this world. And as I share this with you and in the coming weeks until the Lord's done with this topic, I'm praying it does the same for you. That whatever you're going through right now, no matter how dark it is, you know how dark it was back then, and there was still hope. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And that sounds trite, and it sounds, oh, it rhymes, and it's really a song. But it's true. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. Father, I'm, I'm praying that you take these words, even when I stumble, even when I swallow a word here and there, a syllable or whatever. It's not about me or how well I speak. It's about you and your word, Lord, that your children wake up. I pray that you bathe them in your glory, that you give them hope, that you give them answers. But more than anything, I pray that they remember that you are as good as your word. That your promises are yea and amen. That you've done it before. And you will do it again. You're doing it even right now as I'm speaking. You're touching their hearts and their minds. You're reminding them of times that you were there for them. 
You're bathing them in glorious, glorious hope, flooding them with water, healing them in their hearts, in their minds, their bodies, their souls, and their spirit. That your angels are singing over them. Lord, we want to shine. We want to go. We want to do. We want to be like Noah and Enoch and all these men and women in Hebrews that did what they did for you and your kingdom. And I just pray, Lord, that you would confirm, anoint, and empower in Yeshua's name. Amen. As it was in the days of Noah, it is again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord, Adonai, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.